The views and opinions expressed today on Black Focus Radio are not the views and opinions of the station, its management, or its advertisers. Now, let's get ready to focus on our issues, our solutions, using our voices on Black Focus Radio. Welcome to Black Focus, the show designed with our community in mind, where we focus on our issues, developing our solutions, using our voices. Central Arkansas, surrounding areas, and the nation. Get ready. Black Focus starts right now. Phone lines open at 855-525-5683. So here's your host, David W. Coleman and Robert Webb. All right, what's happening? Welcome to the Friday edition of Black Focus Radio. Our issues, our solutions, our voices. 855-525-5683 is the number. That's how you get in touch with us. David Coleman, Robert Webb is in the house. That's how uh, we're going to do it today. A lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh By the way, Uh uh, we've got, uh, remember the, uh, the weird article about teachers becoming babysitters? Well, we're going to go and talk to the president of uh, AEA. The, and, uh, the president or the executive, executive uh, Well, director. president, Carol Fleming. See, Fleming. Okay. You know, so we're going to talk to her. She's going to call us about 1230. Right, and cool, we'll, cool. we'll get an update on uh, babysitting with master's degrees. Bet you didn't go to school for that, did you? That's a you new know? one. So, <laughs> so we'll get into that today as well. Uh, of course, we need your calls, 855-525-5683. Uh, you can stream us live on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, and uh, if you miss any part of the show, be sure to download the podcast. Just go out and search for Black Focus Radio. And also, if you've got to get out in the uh, hustle and bustle today, which it isn't much, uh, then uh, make sure you download the uh, Joinette Radio app. That way you can carry us everywhere you go. So. Now we got all the, the, the proper things out of the way. How you doing, Rob? You got a big weekend plan? Of course not. You don't? You're not going to go hang out We're anywhere? We're on lockdown, man. We are? We're on lockdown. So, I mean, are you not, what are you doing at home? Are you watching TV? You writing a book? You uh, Actually, I'm writing my second novel. Okay. You contemplating the- Called Quarantine. Quarantine? Yeah. Mm. Mm, that ought to be interesting. I think there's a novel already by that name, though. Yeah, mine is more. Mine is uh, mine from is a, a black mine's perspective. Mine's a lot better from a black perspective. Mm, exactly, okay. Dave. Thank okay. you for the help. Uh, you're so welcome. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm doing well on my novel, by the way, and hopefully uh, in the next couple of months I'll have it done and completed. So, looking forward to that, and I'll give y'all some information about that where you all can purchase some pre copies. Uh, if you'd like, and I think you'll like it as well. It's kind of ironic. You know, Bill Gates the other day said something about being able to track everybody who has been vaccinated with for the coronavirus. Right. Some people believe that uh, he's going to, he's talking about nanobots, injecting nanobots into your system that stay in your system. Uh, that's what my book is about. And I've been writing this book your for Your book's about years. nanobots? Yeah, it's a, it's about it's about uh, it's called I, I told you it's about it's called Mindjack, and it's about this guy who creates nanobots that he injects into your system, and it attaches this, it, it attaches to your brainstem, 
and it forces you to do things that you don't want to do. So he uses these people to uh, rob banks and kill uh, 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 public officials and things of that nature. And there are two young people, a black girl and a black boy, who figure it out on what's going on. And, and what do they do? Uh, well, if I told you all that, then you wouldn't read the book. But, oh, okay. But right, it's, cool. a, it's a nice adventure. I always like to write, my, all my characters will always be black males. Uh, they will always be positive black males. Uh, as well. we all are positive, right? Right. So uh, although they'll be going through some stuff, they'll be going through a lot of negativity, but my whole goal is to make sure that we, that I as a writer, um, make sure that I portray black men in a positive light uh, because there are so many people out here who don't believe that that's necessary. So, But anyway, I'll keep you all posted on when that's coming out. But I thought that was interesting when that article came out with Bill Gates uh, the other day, and uh, um, they're talking about nanobots. And if you don't know what a nanobot is, Google is a wonderful tool. <laughs> okay. So um, – we're going to do Black Facts, and like I said, we've got a guest coming up here a little later on in the show. And then we'll get into some of the other things, some of the other crazy stuff that's going on around the country. Uh, I'll tell you about the pastor who called uh, the uh, coronavirus mass hysteria. He died yeah. from the coronavirus. What? No, you're kidding. I'm not. Come on, seriously? Very serious. He died from the virus? Yes. Are you? I mean, seriously, Dave. You're not kidding. No. Okay, I know this is going to sound really crazy, but what happened exactly? Uh, I'll tell you that after Black Facts. Why are you making me wait, man? Dynamic Black Facts. Our culture, our history, our people. All right, today's Black Fact is about Frederick Douglass. And I thought it was this would be appropriate considering the the situation that we all are in right now and although we haven't gotten two food shortages whew, but man it's 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 scary to think if we do so to show you how evil some people are and were and i don't think that's changed much here's what happened for with frederick douglas back in the day frederick douglas on how slave owners use food as a weapon of control. President Trump recently described Frederick Douglass as an example of someone who's done an amazing job and is being recognized more and more. The president muddled tense. It came out sounding as if the 19th century abolitionists were alive with a galloping Twitter following, provoked by mirth on social media. But the spotlight on one of America's great moral heroes is a welcome one. Douglas was born on a plantation in eastern Maryland in 1817. He did not know his birthday, much less uh, have a long-form birth certificate. To a black mother from whom he was separated as a boy and a white father whom he never knew and who was likely the master of the house. He was parceled out to serve different members of the family. His childhood was marked by hunger and cold, and his teen years passed in one long stretch of hard labor, coma-like fatigue, 
routine floggings, hunger, and other commonplace tortures from the slave book handbook. Slave handbook. At 20, he ran away to New York and started a new life as an anti-slavery orator and abolitionist. Acutely conscious of being a literary witness to the inhumane institution uh, he had escaped, he made sure to document his life in not one but three autobiographies. His memoirs bring alive the immoral mechanics of slavery and its weapons of control. Chief among them, food. Hunger was the young Fred's faithful boyhood companion. I have often been so pinched with hunger that I have fought with the dog, old Nep, for the smallest crumbs that fell from the kitchen table and had been glad when I won a single crumb in the combat. Many times have I followed with eager step the waiting girl when she went out to shake the tablecloth to get crumbs and small bones flung out for the cats. Never mind, never mind, honey. Better days are coming, the elders would say to solace the orphan boy. It was just the family pets the child had to compete with. One of the most debasing scenes in Douglas' first memoir. Our food was coarse cornmeal boiled. This was called mush. It was put in a large wooden tray or trough and set down upon the ground. The children were then called many like small pigs. And like so many pigs, they would come and devour the mush. Some with oyster shells, others with pieces of shingle, some with naked hands and none with spoons. He that ate fastest got most. He that was strongest secured the best place, and few left the trawl satisfied. Douglas makes it a point to nail the boastful lie put out by slave owners, one that persists to this day that their slaves enjoy more of the physical comforts of life than the peasantry of any country in the world. The hunger-smitten multitudes did what they could to supplement their scanty diets. They did this by hunting, fishing, growing their own vegetables, or stealing, says Douglas. In their moral universe, they felt, you stole me, you mistreated me, therefore to steal from you is quite normal. If caught, say, say eating an orange from the owner's abundant fruit garden, the punishment was flogging. When even this proved futile, a tar fence was erected around the forbidden fruit. Anyone whose body bore the merest trace of tar was brutally whipped by the chief gardener. But in deprivation was one form, but if deprivation was one form of control, a far more insidious and malicious one was the annual Christmas holidays where gluttony and binge drinking was almost mandatory. During those six days, the enslaved could do what they chose, and while a few spent time with distant family and hunting and working on their homes, most were happy to engage in playing sports, fiddling, dancing, and drinking whiskey, and this later mode 
of spending the time was by far the most agreeable to the feelings of our masters. It was deemed a disgrace not to get drunk at Christmas. To encourage whiskey benders, the masters took bets to see who could drink the most whiskey, thus getting whole multitudes to drink to excess. Douglas sounds even angrier at the obligatory orgies he calls part and parcel to the gross fun, wrong, and inhumanity of slavery than other more direct forms of cruelty. It was a form of bread and circus. Slaves were all also given intoxicated drinks so they would have little time to think of escaping. If you didn't take it, you were considered ungrateful. It was a form of social control. When he was eight years old, Douglas was sent to Baltimore, which proved to be a turning point. The mistress of the house gave him the most precious gift in his life. She taught him the alphabet. But when the husband forbade her to continue, teaching slaves to read and write was a crime. She immediately stopped his lessons. It was too late. The little boy had been given a peek into a transformative world of words and was desperate to learn. He did so by bothering pieces of bread. He had free access to it. In Baltimore, the urban codes of slavery were less harsh than the rule in Maryland for lessons in literacy. His teachers were white neighborhood kids who could read and write but had no food. This bread I used to bestow upon the hungry little urchins who in return would give me that more valuable bread of knowledge, Douglas wrote in the most moving lines in the narrative. This also shows the, ingen, 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 the ingen, ingenuity of enslaved people and how they tricked and leveraged whatever little they had to get ahead. Today, when one thinks of Frederick Douglass, the image that springs to mind is of a distinguished gray-haired man in a double-breasted suit. It is difficult to imagine him as a half-starved boy garbed in nothing but a coarse knee-length shirt, sleeping on the floor in a corn sack he had stolen. As he wrote in narrative, my feet had been so cracked fr with frost that the pen which I was writing might be laid in the gashes. Wow. It is a heartbreaking image redeemed by one little word, pen, a pen that he wielded with passion, clarity, and irony to gash the life of slavery. Ladies and gentlemen, food has always been an issue in the black community, and it's not going to change. Thank you for that. Frederick Douglass, and that's our black fact of the day. Keep listening to Black Focus Radio for more dynamic black facts, our culture, our history, our people on joinetradio.com. And if you would like to sponsor dynamic black facts, give me a call at 615-554-0568, and we'll hook you up with some nice, with a nice advertising package. No doubt about that. Uh, while we're waiting on our, we've got a guest coming up here in about 10 minutes. Uh, that is Carol Fleming. Uh, she is the president, or I guess what, the CEO of, of uh, AEA. 
I guess you could say that. And uh, we'll talk to her. And the reason we're talking to her is there's, there was an interesting note that was released yesterday by Asa Hutchison. Uh, or I guess it was released by the literal LREA. That's who it was released by. Saying basically, at least I interpret it as teachers will be, I guess, drafted to be babysitters for first responders, children. Hmm. A I, teacher's work is never done. I wonder if uh, those first responders live in Little Rock. Oh, man. I wonder if the teachers live in Little Rock. You know, would, would a first responder like a police officer who lives in Bryant, would he want a Little Rock teacher to be his child's babysitter? I don't know. I don't know. It'd be mm, tough. Interesting. So we'll talk to Carol Fleming and get a get get a better understanding of what that meant. I'm sure she'll be glad to do that. In the meantime, Maxine Waters says, I've seen more in Trump in- integrity in gang members than I have in Donald Trump. Cool. <laughs> Ooh, that's tough. This is an old article. She says, I've worked in some of the toughest communities. I've worked with gangs. I've worked with Crips. I've worked with Bloods. And there's more integrity in many of these young people in the hood than this man has. Ooh. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah, she sliced him up then. Man, Maxine ain't playing, you know. She ain't no joke, man. You know, I, I think a lot of people, and you know, a lot of people don't realize Maxine Waters is almost 80 years old. Is she really? Yeah, I, I believe that's correct. Uh, she's she's close. She's up there. So, you know, when you get to that point and you get to that age, you don't mind speaking your mind because what they going to do to you? Now, I ain't that old, but I'm. Yeah, you are. I'm, I'm, I don't mind speaking my mind either. Yeah, she was born in 1938. Yeah. I didn't know that until about a year ago that she was that old. Well, Director Hendricks often says, I'm too old to play with y'all. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, so, uh, so Maxine Waters throwing some shade at Donald Trump. Uh, let's see. U.S. hospitals considering blanket do not resuscitate orders for COVID 19 patients. Y'all still think this is a game? But before I get into that, I want to go to this article real fast that Ro- that Robert would seem so incredulous uh, prior to us going to black facts. Okay? Give it to me, Dave. All right. Religious ignorance kills. Pastor who claimed COVID-19 hysteria was plot against Trump dies from the virus. A Virginia pastor who claimed the mass hysteria around the coronavirus pandemic was part of a media plot against Trump has died of the virus. ABC News reports Landon Spratlin's family never got to say goodbye. The 66-year-old father and husband of, uh, from Virginia died due to complications from COVID-19 on Wednesday morning in North Carolina. While on the way to hell, I mean on the way home from a mission trip, Spratlin collapsed and was taken to a hospital in Concord, North Carolina. He was eventually put on a ventilator as his condition worsened. According to reports, Spratlin, 66-year-old Christian musical evangelist, fell ill while on a missionary trip to New Orleans with his wife. 
Now, what's going on in New Orleans right now? They got their own set. They got their own exactly. pandemic. Yeah. So he down in New Orleans spreading his virus. Oh, God. Okay. Friendly Atheist reports Spratlin went to New Orleans to wash it from its sin and debauchery. Wow. Enjoying its sin and debauchery. Exactly. Right? On his Facebook page, Spratlin shared a misleading meme attempted to minimize COVID-19 comparing the virus to the swine flu and suggesting that the response to the coronavirus pandemic was media-created mass hysteria to damage Trump. Spradlin also shared a post from a pastor claiming that a missionary in South Africa protected himself from the eubonic plague with the spirit of God. Got issues. <laughs> a quote from the post reads, as long as I walk in the light of the, that law of the spirit of life, no germ will attach itself to me. Other than the coronavirus. Stupid kills okay i'm just saying folks y'all keep having these church services go ahead and you white evangelicals y'all really figuring out that what y'all been touting ain't working y'all don't want to believe it but you white evangelicals are part of the problem all right just like the church up that we talked about up in Conway, where his members now are showing uh, signs of the coronavirus. Y'all keep going. You know what? Well, we might not have to wait to 2042 because some of y'all are so ignorant. Y'all will catch the virus and y'all will just die off. I'm just saying. This virus is real, man. It's real. It's not going away. And here's the killer thing about it. You know it can circle back next year too, right? You get that, right? Yeah. It's like the flu. Do you get the flu every year? It, it will be bonked. Do, do, do a lot of people get the flu every year? And even if you don't get it every year, and hopefully you don't, but there are a lot of people who get the flu every year. There's a flu pandemic every year. The coronavirus isn't going anywhere. So when these doctors tell you that social distancing might be around for a while, that they might be shutting down restaurants for a while, the clubs, that's true. They're not trying to run you out of business. They're not hating on you because you got the baddest club in the city. <laughs> okay. They're telling you the truth. Not really the case, sir. No, it ain't, man. They make the, your margaritas ain't no better than somebody else's margaritas. Although I heard, you know, I've been having a taste for um, um, a, what is it called? A, a Tennessee, no, a Texas martini. And it's usually made at a local uh, Tex-Mex restaurant which I'm not giving them a plug since they don't pay no money here. Okay, okay. But I called them the last Friday, and they're doing takeouts, but they, they're not doing alcohol takeouts. Damn. Because they can't. They well, can't do that. That's against the law. Well, I mean, look, here's what a lot of people don't understand about restaurants. 
is that they make their money off of liquor. They don't make their money off of food. Okay? So when a restaurant can't sell liquor, they taking a they beating. Got problems. They taking a beating. Okay? Because food cost in most restaurants can be anywhere to 25, 30%. That's big. Restaurants throw out a lot of food, whether it's unused, whether it's spoiled, whatever the case may be. They ain't got to they think about it. Think about this. Remember when the people went over and and went in uh Cajuns with the flood? Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah. You remember what they took? Alcohol. Alcohol. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I've been in a I've been at restaurants where they've closed. You know, went out of business. Right. The one thing they will not give you is the alcohol. They will. They'll let you sit at the bar and drink they as much as you want. They don't have to give it to us. We can always borrow it. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but they will not give you the alcohol because they they're over their their price margin for alcohol. You know, they can. You know, some restaurants, some bars, they water their stuff down. You know, I'm, I'm gonna be honest. Not, those are not my kind of bars. They they make they make money off of alcohol. So when a restaurant cannot have cannot sell alcohol, that's killing them, and that's what's gonna hurt a lot of these restaurants, particularly the ones that uh, that sell alcohol. It's gonna hurt them bad. Okay, so I'm just saying, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Governor, y'all need to open up the alcohol sales. I mean, the liquor stores are packed. Went in the liquor store the other day, and man, I had to take a number. So, I'm just saying. 855-525-5683 is the number. That's how uh, you get in touch with us. We're expecting a call from Carol Fleming. Uh, I I hope Tracy gave her the right number, uh, because I don't have her number. Uh, Oh, here we go right here. Did you call him here? That's timing right there. Black Focus Radio, David Coleman speaking. Hi, David. It's Carol Fleming. Well, hi, Carol. How are you doing? Hello, Madam President. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Webb. How are you? Wow. <laughs> they just know your voice, don't they? That's uh, Madam President. Well, well, Madam President, thank you for joining the show. Um, of course. We, um, we had some questions near the end of the show yesterday that seemed a bit peculiar so we'd like to go to the source and get real information as opposed to innuendo and rumors and so on and so forth like the trump administration um so can you explain that communique that was released yesterday by lrea suggesting that if first responders are called into duty, so to speak, that teachers would be then called into duty to act as babysitters for the first responder kids. Can you explain that to us? So first, you said that there was a communique from LREA regarding that? Yes. Um, So, you know, I am a member of LREA, but I cannot speak on behalf 
of LREA. Okay. Um, as the president of the Arkansas Education Association, I can tell you what I know in regards to this statewide situation. Okay. And, um, and I know that from having many conversations with Secretary Key's office. I have spoken um, in his office, as a matter of fact, three different times regarding this situation because it first came to light um, Friday, I believe, is when I first heard about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so my question was, you know, what is this? Because it was all over Facebook. And so um, Secretary Key's office told me that um, there is not a mandate to have facilities being used as daycare facilities for and to have teachers come in and to work. That is not a mandate to actually use the words of his office. They said that this is not to exploit teachers and have them work as daycare providers. So what has happened is that you do have first responders and healthcare workers who are going in and continuing to work to provide um, healthcare services for the individuals that are currently being tested and being treated for COVID-19. What has been um, suggested is that the local health facilities work with the local superintendents to, um, to see if they can open up a facility, a school, it's not the entire school district, um, to provide care for the children of the health care workers because the health care workers are having to go in to work. But yet daycare facilities throughout the state have been closed. This is not something that's going to affect every school district. This is not a Little Rock issue. Um, When I talked to the office earlier today, I was told that Bentonville is currently using, and they are using teacher volunteers, but the intent is not to use teachers because teachers are having to provide AMI instruction throughout the day. And so they cannot do AMI instruction and provide supervision for the children at the same time. Now, yes, there has been a request to allow school age children who are participating in this to, um, to be able to do their AMI instruction, but it is not to count as on-site instruction. Um, the other thing is that if they do not have enough individuals to provide the support, then it cannot be done. The ratios have to be small. And um, the intent was that we have a lot of classified employees who currently are unable to do the jobs that they were originally hired to perform. And so this would have been an opportunity for them to be able to still continue to do their work and get their pay. And, you know, because many of them right now are, um, they're doing AMI packages, they're putting those together for students to be able to come and to pick them up. Many of them are 
also participating in um, food distribution, meal distributions. They're going with our professional bus drivers on the routes and providing meals to the children. So this was to, um, to allow that as an opportunity because another thing that has also been approved is that superintendents, particularly for our classified staff, they are also able to institute administrative leave for those employees so that they don't have to take personal or sick leave during this time because the intent is not to have anyone have any financial strains as a result of what is going on with COVID-19 because we know that there's a lot of inequities out there as to what is required of certified and classified staff in still meeting the educational needs of our children and our communities. So let me make sure I get a clarification that number one, teachers are not mandated to become glorified babysitters. And number two, how are they going to, if so, is this a volunteer thing or how are they going to draft the quote-unquote educators to to do this if, in fact, it needs to be done? Okay, great question. So first, no, this is not a mandate for classroom teachers, educators to become glorified babysitters. So, yes, you did understand that correctly. And two, um, and it came out Saturday, March 22nd, because I'm currently looking at it um, from the information that was sent out to the superintendents. It is to look for volunteers. And again, this is something that would be in conjunction with the local health care leaders as well as the local superintendents. And if they do not have the volunteers to provide this, then they can't provide the service itself. And what they wanted to do was um, the reason why they were looking at our schools is because those individuals working in the schools, volunteers and staff, have already gone through the necessary background checks to work with children. One other thing to note is that if they were to provide services for someone who's not school-aged, then you have to work with the Department of Human Services because now you've got all other sorts of legalities and um, guidelines that you have to follow in providing um, care for non-school-aged children. And this is something that even the state of Massachusetts has also implemented. And it's only for an emergency. This is not something that um, is to be the norm. What has been the response of uh, educators uh, since this news has come out? So there's been a lot of response on Facebook, um, people thinking that this is um, the glorified babysitter. Um, But when I've talked to other educators not in the capital city most of them haven't even heard about this um, because this is so new and um so i haven't heard a lot of 
um, negative response to it. The only thing I continue to hear is, well, how would that work? And how would they ensure my safety coming into a school? How would they ensure that those schools have been completely sanitized and, um, you know, for us to be able to go in and what would the precautions be taken for us? Would we have protective wear? So there's still a lot of questions. I haven't heard a lot of negativity, just more questions. Well, you know, Carol, when I first read this yesterday and I, I, you know, I previewed it, that was my number one thought is that even if those schools have been sanitized, that does not mean that the children coming into those schools are not asymptomatic and could still reinfect not just the people in the school, but, you know, leave the virus on lockers and in the cafeteria. And I just think this is a – it sounds on the, on, the, on the outset a great idea, everybody working together, but when you really logically look at it, this is a dumb idea. Did we lose you, Carol? No, you didn't lose me. I'm still here. So I, I just, I don't, and, and I, was, I was looking at some of the comments from some of the, some people who were teachers, and I'll tell you, they didn't sound too excited about it either. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's that old saying, it's kind of like the walking dead. You take care of your family first and then worry about everybody else. I know that sounds selfish, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what you've got to do Pretty in this much, case, right. you know? Much, yeah. I mean, we're definitely in uncharted waters right now. Um, you know, this is certainly something that no one has ever experienced before. And, um, and so I know that we're all trying to, to see what options are available out there, but yet while still trying to maintain our own safety and health and well-being, while still trying to meet all of those needs. Madam President, thank yes. you for your leadership. If I were a teacher, I would want to be part of L- uh, AEA or, depending on where I was, LREA. Thank you for your great leadership. A couple of questions real quick. I'm going to take you away from this uh, from this thing Dave's on. I, I, I came to an event y'all had about four months ago, and I can't think of the name of it now, but when you were, were you giving out the honors? I think is when the when the black union merged with the white union. Can you, if you yeah. get a few minutes, can you give us a little background on that and why you guys thought that was important to do? Thank you. So um, yes, you are talking about our 50th anniversary gala that we had, which was um, I believe it was November 1st. And we had the iconic Reg Weaver here as our keynote speaker. Reg Weaver is one of our former National Education Association presidents. And so we were um, definitely remembering the iconic merger of the Arkansas um, Teachers Association and the Arkansas Education Association. And, you know, AEA has been in existence since um, 1869. And then the ATA came into existence in 1898, I believe. 
and in 1963, and that was because AEA had changed its membership to white-only membership, and so that's why ATA was formed in 1898. And um, the National Education Association had said that um, we needed to start to merge our, um, our two organizations. And so Arkansas, in 1963, the leaders of Arkansas Teachers Association and Arkansas Education Association started meeting, and in um, 1969, so it took them six years to get to that point, but in 1969, on July 1st, that was the merger of the Black Teachers Organization and the White Teachers Organization to come together. And with that merger, ATA sold its building, and um, they then had the establishment of the ATA endowment, and that is where we actually give um, scholarships to African-American um, college students who are going into the educational profession. And um, at our event, we had so many individuals who were part of that historic merger that we did a beautiful video that is on YouTube, and it's also available on the AEA website, aeaonline.org. And it um, had Annie Abrams, um, Sid Johnson, who has been president four different times from Fort Smith. Um, we had uh, um, Cora McHenry, and, um, and now I'm going to, you know, leave somebody out, of course. Um, but we had, but we highlighted and recognized. Um, was it seven individuals that night? Mm-hmm. And if you had given me a heads up, I would have already had that information out. I, I apologize. But That's you've, okay. you've done you a great job so far, fly. though. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a scholarship. So can any, any kid who's going into education can apply for the scholarship? So, yes, if they are in an accredited um, school, they can apply for the scholarship. We also offer scholarships for um, junior and senior high school students who can also apply for a scholarship if they plan to go into education. Through the endowment, um, those scholarships are going to be for, um, those are for the college students, students who are already enrolled in a college, but then we do also have scholarships for high school students. We have, we have an Emma Scott um, scholarship um, see, now you're going to have me going through all of my stuff. <laughs> Madam President, thank you very much for being so courteous to us. Y'all just do so many great things, and I don't think often enough, I mean, Tracy Ann comes on, and she, she touts all the great things you're doing, but when we get when we get the opportunity to have the Madam President in, we should try to get as much as we possibly can out of you. We don't get you often, so we got to get as much as we can when we get time to talk to you. Well, you know, and I'd be more than happy to come and talk again. So I did the Emma Scott Memorial Scholarship is $500, and that is um, for anyone who is a junior or a senior in a college, 
teacher education program and as a member so for this one you do have to be a member of our aspiring educators association okay okay all right. uh, Madam President, let me ask you another quick question. Uh, recently, and I don't know if you can answer this or not, <clears throat> recently apparently the uh, the seniors who had completed were, I guess it was up to date as it relates to the third nine weeks, uh, have basically, they're done. But what happens to those seniors who have not completed all of their requirements at this point? What 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 do they do? And I'm asking specifically because I know a, I know a young person who is in this situation is that he had not come. Uh, obviously, he was on track to graduate, but uh, he was going to have to go through the rest of the year in order to get caught up. Now school is basically done that we know of. What do those seniors do who were not at that third nine weeks? ready to graduate what do, do we have any news on how these kids are gonna graduate or where they're headed or anything like that again great questions the arkansas department of education does have guidance regarding all of those questions on their website but then aea also has that information on our website we are providing as we get the updates we are putting that information out and I have spoken to Secretary Key's office about this very issue um, because I've had a friend who has a daughter who is in the AP classes. And so the question was, so do they not have to come in and take their AP exams? So this is a district by district decision. So even though we have heard that the high school seniors as long as they had met the requirements by the third nine weeks that they are on track, they're set to graduate, there still is a district-by-district district decision for that. Plus, the other thing is that um, you still have to also determine class rank. And um, a lot of the, um, the students are also looking at scholarships for colleges. So there are still some things that those individuals will have to do in order to determine valedictorian, valedictorian, class rank, um, the concurrent um, course credit if you're taking IB credit. And so you're already getting college credit. So they still have to determine what will be done in those instances. But then if you have not met the requirements by the third nine weeks to, to graduate, and, you know, you're looking at a pass-fail um, in order to have met the requirements. So if you had a failing grade in the third nine weeks in order to meet those graduation requirements, then um, they are providing students the opportunity to complete the coursework or assignments that would be necessary to graduate. And they also have made a lot of provisions um, to suspend um, many of the graduation requirements, such as taking you know, the, um, the civilization test. Um, there's an economics class. There's, there's a lot of things that, um, that the Department of Education has suspended the rules on that and made provisions so that um, high school seniors can graduate without having to take 
those required courses. And so they have suspended those for a 30-day um, time period per the executive order that came out on March 17th. We're talking uh, to the president of AEA, Carol Fleming. Uh, uh, Madam President, one other question before, unless Robert has one, uh, before we let you go. Uh, just keeping with the minds of the students, what's going to happen to summer school? Because I, 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 when I was in school, I knew a lot of kids who were hustling, who didn't do the due diligence. I wasn't one of them, thank goodness, uh, and ended up going to summer school. But many of them were determined whether or not they were going to end up in summer school based on the third and fourth nine weeks. Now that, that at least the fourth nine weeks is no longer available, how, how do, I mean, this is going to be crazy. How do you all, how are they going to determine what kid, like if you're a, 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 a 10th grader who needs some extra credits to go to the 11th grade, how are they going to do that now? I do not have the answer to that question. I really don't know. Um, every day something new comes up and uh, we're all having to think, oh, my goodness, I didn't think about that. And how are we going to address this? Because since you brought that up about, you know, a 10th grader or an 11th grader, you know, um, AAA has suspended all of their activities. Yeah. And um, many of our children, they rely on these extracurricular activities for um, so much of their socialization. And with the, um, with us going to the virtual um, and distance learning and remote um, instruction, how is this going to impact those children who, um, who rely on these extracurricular activities? How will it impact their eligibility in moving forward? Um, because they also need this for many of the athletic scholarships that they are relying on when they do go to um, college. And so those are all questions that are now being raised because we don't know what the long-term ramifications are with this new reality that we're all living in. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, the more we go through this, the more confusing it all gets for all of us because this is the new normal right now. and. Yeah. Uh, we just don't know where we're headed on some of these things. Hey, Carol Fleming, uh, president of the uh, Arkansas Education Association, really appreciate you joining us. And you and we've told you all this before. You all have uh, an open forum here. Anytime y'all need to get some information out, uh, don't hesitate to call us. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Madam President. All right. Thank you, Mr. Webb. All have right. a great afternoon. All right. You Peace. too. That was Carol Fleming. Uh, really appreciated her joining us and clearing up some information. So, in other words, teachers, you don't, you are not going to end up being a glorified babysitter. Okay, you, it's not going to happen. All right, y'all get that right. It's good to ferret out that rumor because it was getting hot and heavy uh, on uh, on Facebook. So. Uh, we can take the word of the uh, Arkansas Education Association President Carol Fleming on that. Hey, we got a lot of other stuff to talk about coming up here in just a moment. We're going to go ahead and jump into our, our uh, top of the hour break right now. And when we come back, we'll get into some other things. Um, we haven't talked much about your president lately, Robert, so we'll, 
we'll have to talk about him, of course. And there's some other good information out there uh, as well. You're listening to Black Focus Radio, our issues, our solutions, our voices, right, right here on joinedradio.com. Hey fans, are you looking for the best chicken wings in the city? Then look no further than Great American Wings, located at 3230 Colonel Glenn Road in Little Rock. Getting ready for the big game? It's Great American Wings. Getting ready for dinner for the family? It's Great American Wings. Lunch, dinner, or snacks? It's Great American Wings. No matter the size of your group or the flavor of your wings, Great American Wings got you covered. Call today at 501-406-7134 to place your order. Are you on a tight schedule and don't have time to stop by Great American wings don't fret call us up and we'll deliver your favorite flavors right to your front door that's why we are called great american wings because we aim to please don't miss out on the best wings in the city it's great american wings located at 3230 colonel glenn road right here in little rock open daily from 10 a.m to 9 p.m great american wings is guaranteed to offer you something that'll tickle your taste buds you've tried the rest now try the best it's great american wings did you know that 9 out of 10 people like chocolate? And the 10th person always lies. If you're that 10th person, guess what? We've got the special place for you. It's Coco Bell Chocolates. Coco Bell's handcrafted artisan products inspired by southern desserts for a nostalgic taste. For yourself or for the perfect gift, give us a call at 501-943-7570. That's Coco Bell Chocolates. Find out more about our direct services and ordering at CocoBellChocolates.com. Hello, my name is David Ashley, and I am the host for Real Talk, Real Money. We do this every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock a.m. We hope that you'll join us. Yeah, I want to talk to you about your children, how they can get free money for their education. I want to talk to you about you, how you can start over in your financial health. We want to talk it out. Let's try to figure it out. Real Talk, Real Money. Real Talk, Real Money, every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Join that radio. Be there. Join us. Hey folks, are you looking for a place to exchange ideas and talk about the issues that affect our community? Then join me, David W. Coleman, and my co-host, Robert Webb, for Black Focus Radio. Every Monday through Friday, noon to 2 p.m. on joinedradio.com. We like to say, it's our issues, our solutions, our voices. Download the latest podcast on your favorite platform. Also catch us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. That's Black Focus Radio. Our issues, our solutions, our voices on joinedradio.com. You got it. England and Eastern Rock's answer to your aggravation. The Joy Network. 
The views and opinions expressed today on Black Focus Radio are not the views and opinions of the station, its management, or its advertisers. Now, let's get ready to focus on our issues, our solutions, using our voices on Black Focus Radio. Welcome to Black Focus, the show designed with our community in mind, where we focus on our issues, developing our solutions, using our voices. Central Arkansas, surrounding areas, and the nation. Get ready. Black Focus starts right now. Phone lines open at 855-525-5683. So here's your host, David W. Coleman and Robert Webb. All right, welcome back to the second hour of Black Focus Radio. Our issues, our solutions, our voices. Don't forget to join us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter, and you can download the Joinet Radio app. Carry us everywhere you go, and if you miss any part of the show, you can certainly download the podcast and uh, check us out. Fast forward. If you want to hear what the president of the Arkansas Education Association, Carol Fleming, had to say, you need to go out and check out the podcast. All right? I appreciate her joining us last hour just to just to uh, debunk some myths that are going on out there because there certainly are a lot of them going on. Uh, I showed Robert in the break the Donald Trump ad we, we referenced yesterday where he's trying to sue local television stations to keep them from running the ad. Well, the ad, uh, this is the epitome of him being a pathological liar is the fact that he don't want his own words used that he's been lying to the American people about. So, uh, and by the way, I just reposted the ad itself on Facebook. Uh, What I would love for you guys to do is share the hell out of it, okay? Take that ad and share it everywhere. Put it on everything you can because even if they try to kill the ad, at least it will survive via social media. Okay, so share, 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 because this guy and at this point, it has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. This guy does not belong in the White House. Period. Now, I knew that before he was elected. Some of you all are just now coming to the realization. Some of you all will never see the light. Like that pastor. Hey, Robert. How am I being mean? Don't, don't be mean to our guest. What guest? Saying that they'll never see the, they'll never see it. Don't do that. They won't. They won't ever see it. They won't. They'll never see the light. You know, until you know that pastor probably saw a bright light before he kicked the bucket. I'm just saying. Because y'all are causing people to die. Donald Trump is causing has caused people to die. Nobody wants to say that, but that's what has occurred because they knew about this pandemic months before it hit America, and they did nothing about it. More importantly, they dismantled all of the, all of the organizations and the protocols that were set up to battle this pan, a pandemic. They knew about, and more importantly, Donald Trump tried to corner the market on the vaccine. Y'all get this, right? Donald Trump tried to buy the vaccine vaccine, so he could make money off of it. No, he tried to buy it so he could give it away, Dave. Stop it. All right, Dave. He did what? 
What'd you just say? He tried to buy it so he could stop it. So he could give it away. Yep. So those senators and rep- and Republican senators and some Democrats who had that private meeting about the vaccine, they they sold all that stock because they wanted to donate the money to homeless shelters. I think so. Ooh. All righty then. <laughs> If you believe that, I got a bridge in China to sell you that's my, my only, that doesn't my, have any coronavirus on my it. My only point here is, Jesus, this death toll, this total death ticker. Mm-hmm. From the time we walked, from the time I walked in at twelve, mm-hmm. the number was twenty six thousand four twenty three. Mm-hmm. I've been, we've been here an hour. Hour and six minutes mm-hmm. is twenty six thousand four fifty five. <sighs> Man. Well, with that being said, Northwest Hospital Memorial Hospital in Chicago has been discussing a universal do not resuscitate policy for infected patients, regardless of the patient's wishes. What? Do you know what that means? Yeah, that means they're going to choose who lives and who dies. Exactly. So if you get the virus, theoretically, they're not going to treat you. They're just going to you're going to ho- you better hope your antibodies will be able to bite to fight the virus. Otherwise, you toast. As I said earlier, Donald Trump is killing folks. Because had they did their due diligence, the pandemic may have still hit the United States. Right. But we would have been much more prepared for it. And it's clear that, look, Robert, we're supposed to have the best doctors in the world. People come to the United States for, for our health care, at least for treatment. We see that all the time. And they have went into this pandemic, and it's not the doctor's fault. They have went into this pandemic. It's almost like fighting a war and, and the other other side has tanks, guns, airplanes, and bullets, and all you got are slingshots. That's all you got. Well, it's it's like anything else. You can have the best you can have the best late plan, right? You can have the best players on your team. But if you don't have a quality coach, if you don't have quality plays, your team's not gonna win. Mm. And I good think, analogy. I think what we're looking at now is is that we have quality doctors, we have quality hospitals, but there was that plan that we need to have in place, that plan was not implemented early enough to slow the spread of the epidemic. I don't know if you remember a few years ago when um, the, was it the Ebola virus? Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what it was, but when we identified where the virus came from, mm-hmm. we instantly went out and started checking people as they came in on those international mm-hmm. flights. Barack so Obama, by the way. We had, we had people at every international airport yep. doing all the checks that needed to be done mm-hmm. before we would allow them through customs. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things that we should have been doing with this. And unfortunately, um, I, you know, honestly, I don't really want to point the finger in a time of crisis. Because uh, I, think, I think at a time. I am. Hold on, Dave. I think at a time of crisis. It's Trump's should, fault. I think in a time of crisis, we should all be talking about how we can win together and not really pointing our fingers about who's to blame for but, it. But, you know, Robert, that sounds so Pollyannish and naive of you. How so? Because that would work if you had a president 
who would be willing to stand up and say, we should have done a better job. But what did he do? He blamed Barack Obama. And what you just described as, a, as it relates to blocking the uh, Ebola was, in fact, that, that, that organization, those stipulations, is what Obama put into place. That's what they put into place. So we know we're going to have world pandemics. How do you fight them? So they put into place some protocols to fight those, and President Trump killed them. You cannot, look, I'm sorry. You can You can only lay the blame at the feet of this president. And then he goes on to say, to, to give you even more fodder, so now he's at war with the governor of New York. Now, I'm the governor of this state. I know what my state needs. Trump is now saying that he's not going to make sure that they get 30,000 ventilators in New York, where New York is one of the ground zero hotspots on this. How do you know, Trump? You're not even there. Come on, man. I understand your logic in saying, hey, finger pointing can come later. But no, in this case, this guy continually every day shows his ignorance and shows his lack of compassion for people because he continually run as, runs interference. He, he's even said that if, if states want to get my help, then they've got to start treating me nicer. What kind of ish is that? You get that, right? Yeah, but. Come on, you are the you are the leader of the free world, and you worried about whether or not a state is is Democrat or Republican. You worried about whether or not a state is talking nice about you, man. This this lies at his feet. It lies, and then it was him having campaign rallies saying this is a Democratic hoax. I wonder how many people got infected in some of his campaign rallies. It is him who's saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to reopen the government by Easter. And as Dr. Fauci so eloquently put it, people don't set the timeline. The virus will set the timeline. Right. No, I understand that. But, okay, I, I want to read something because uh, I want to read something because I, I think it's important. And I want to share with people where I got it from because I want them to also go out and read. I'm trying to, it's a really long article. I'm trying to pick out, I'm trying to pick the, the, you know, the, the, the tidbits that are really important mm, yeah. here. And so here I go. I'm going to read a couple, read a paragraph of this really quickly. It says, uh, current global disease control, uh, control focus almost ex- ex- exclusively on responding to pandemics after they have already spread globally. Nevertheless, dramatic failures in pandemic control, such as the ongoing lack of success in the HIV vaccination uh, development 25 years into the pandemic, have shown that this will, this wait and respond approach is not sufficient and that the development of systems to prevent novel pandemics before they establish should be considered imperative to human health. Had we had such a mature system in place, we may have averted the H1N1 pandemic that is currently unfolding. This was done in 2010, mm-hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. It says the early detection of um, emergent threats to human health is all the more important given the speed with which disease and disease causing agents are now capable of being distributed around the globe through air travel. Mm-hmm. And the global trade of animals as potential reservoirs of disease because the success of a, a pathogen depends on its ability to spread from human to human and on the number of uh, susceptible humans, our ability to cross continents in a single day poses a, a unique challenge to emerging infectious disease control. Past studies have highlighted the importance of global travel to the spread of pandemic disease and the recent emergence and subsequent global spread of influ- influ- influenza H1N1 equivocally illustrates how our global interconnectedness can affect the worldwide distribution of a new virus. One that may otherwise have remained a regional phenomena in an era before global transit. Now, that tells me that they're saying in 2010, now this is what they're saying in 2010, Dave. Mm -hmm. They're saying in 2010, we are not prepared for this. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. They're saying this in 2010. Right. Ten years ago, they're saying we're not prepared for a pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't lay this at the feet of Trump. The thing I think we have to figure out now, hold on, hold on one second. The thing we have to figure out now is how what precautions are we putting in place to make sure we don't have this as we move forward? All right, go ahead. Teacher. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, I'm done with you. Uh, I agree with what you just said. But that's what prompted the Obama administration to put that pandemic team together. Now, just quickly about the AIDS. The reason AIDS went so crazy is because white men in Congress thought that the AIDS and in religious circles thought that the AIDS epidemic was a gay disease. Okay. Okay. And they didn't care about the gay disease. Okay. Okay. Even though there were women who were contracting AIDS as well through needles and uh, it just wasn't sex. So that's part of the reason the AIDS epidemic wreaked havoc for decades. I'm I'm saying this because I just saw this. Okay. I'm not. Okay. But what you just read is exactly right. That's what prompted uh, Barack Obama to put together the pandemic protocol and that pandemic team it was based in i want to say eight different industrialized nations they were funding it they were paying attention to the the potential of a pandemic and how to address it it was donald trump who disbanded that pandemic team you get that right so if that pandemic team was still functional right then maybe we could have avoided this because that was their job to look into the future and say hey look this potentially could wreak havoc on the world what you talking about aids no no i'm talking about any pan after the ebola scare all right let me give you this i I like that you made a good point so i'm going to give you this it says, although a global surveillance system for pandemic prevention is still far from a reality, there may be more immediate interim measures that may be taken to migrate 
the risk to of, mitigate. Oh shoot, sorry. Yeah, to mitigate the risk of zoonotic zoonotic transmission, even in the absence of a global surveillance effort, in situations where humans and animals are in close contact, behavior changes a uh, behavior change approaches may be a preventive step to reducing the risk of transmission. Behavior modification campaigns have previously been used in combating outbreaks of known infectious diseases. For instance, a behavior modification camp, uh, campaign was launched in Sierra Leone to reduce cases of lesser fever. The intervention involved incident mapping, contact tracking, to warn relatives of the dangers of secondary infection and education to expose populations and methods of avoiding exposure to rodents. The, the reservoir of the disease prevention posters included graphic depictions to instruct villagers and rat villagers in fact, villagers and techniques for protecting food from rodents, trapping rodents, dealing safely with um uh, carcasses of dead rat and symptom recognition. As part of the campaign, local musicians were even even commissioned to write and perform songs about routines of transmission of the fever and preventive measures. These out these outreach activities were an attempt to increase awareness of the disease and to promote behavior change aimed at reducing incident cases of the fever through reducing the risk of exposure to animals, in this case, rodents. Now, this this says to me, I, I like your point earlier, but this says to me right here, right, that we have to have some kind of system in place in case of a pandemic, right? No matter what that pandemic is. Now, if you wanna if you wanna go out and read this article, you can go to you can just go to uh ncib.nlm.com nih.gov How old is that article by the way? This was, I told you 2010. Okay, so that article is 2010. So you you telling me What I'm you, saying to you Okay, I'm listening to you. is that President Obama put together a team to do just that. Before so, he left hold office. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. So if you're saying that President President Obama put together a team to do just that, then I would say that the team he put together, it seems as though that team failed. No. How, how so? They were disbanded. When Trump took office in 2016, he killed. What was the name of the team? I'm sitting here looking at an article right now. You want me to read it? The, the yeah, title please, of the article, please. Trump team failed to follow NSC's pandemic playbook. Okay, okay. the 69 page document finished in 2016 provided a step-by-step -step list of priorities which were then ignored by the Trump administration. Duh! 69-page playbook. Exactly. What was the name of that playbook again? It was, uh, it was done by the NSC's pandemic playbook. That's what it's called. The Trump administration killed it. It was already put together by the Obama administration because they saw this coming. Not just the Obama administration, but other World Health or the World Health Organization as well. Okay? By the way, 
the Trump administration refused to send funding to WHO. Many of the Republicans hated the WHO because the WHO, in fact, was talking about global warming as well. Another Republican talking point as it relates to hacks. I'm just saying, I hear what you're saying. That article's 2010. That's why Obama them did this. And it was the Trump administration. And why are you looking? Um, it was the Trump administration. All you got to do is go, and what I, here's what I Googled, so you all will know for yourself. Pandemic team disbanded. Okay? Washington Post has articles on it. Politico, the New York Times, factcheck.org. It goes on and on and on. And why did why did Donald Trump dis the AP AP News Trump disbanded in the NSC pandemic unit that experts pray experts had praised. Okay, and you know why he disbanded it? Is because it was set up by Barack Obama. That's why he disbanded it. Yes, this can be laid at the feet of Donald Trump. His stupidity. I won't even say his arrogance because to be arrogant, you have to have some sense of, uh, uh, of smarts. This was disbanded because he hated Barack Obama. And we've seen this administration, regardless of what Obama did, whether it was good or not for the public, if it was good for the public, they still killed it. Okay, let me tell you what Dr. Anthony Fauci said. Let me just read a little bit of this article from the AP News. Public health and national security experts shake their heads when President Trump says the coronavirus came out of nowhere and blindsided the world. They've been warning about the next pandemic for years and criticized the Trump administration's decision in 2018 to dismantle the National Security Council Directorate at the White House, charged with preparing for when, not if, another pandemic would hit the nation. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci, okay? It would be nice if the, if the office was still there, okay? I wouldn't necessarily char characterize it as a mistake to eliminate the unit. I would say... We worked well with that office. There you go. <sighs> no. Right again. I, I, mean, I mean, no. Hold on, Dave. How can you soar with? On, how can you soar with the Eagles when you work with turkeys? Hold on, Dave. What? No. No. The point. You're here saying that. I'm not saying. I'm saying what Dr. Fauci just said. You're saying about Trump disbanding the. You're saying about Trump disbanding this. Uh, death panel that not the death panel the oh I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it might as well be a death panel yeah, the way it's going the way it's going right no my point is is that there are certain things that should have been in place regardless of whether the whether the group was there and that group only advised it's not like that group was actually out there doing the 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 day to day work those things would have been contracted out so it's not like these guys were actually doing the work so that's my point I mean. He, he they were the a, canary in the got, in, in, in the a, coal mine. Got, I mean, I'm not I'm not condoning what he did. I'm just making an argument that even though we had this body, 
we are still in the pandemic or we didn't have this body, but we did have the playbook. We are still in the pandemic. The NSC Directorate for Global Health and Security and Biodefense survived the transition from President Obama to Trump in 2017. Trump's elimination of the office suggested, along with his proposed budget cuts for the CDC, that he did not see the threat of pandemics in the same way that many experts in the field did. One year later, I was mystified when the White House dissolved the office, leaving the country less prepared for pandemics like COVID-19, said Beth Cameron, the first director of the unit. She said the directorate was set up to be a smoke alarm, exactly, the canary in the coal mine, and get ahead of emergencies and sound a warning at the earliest sign of fire, all with the goal of avoiding a six-alarm fire. That's what this office was designed to do is that, hey, look, look what's happening in China. We need to do something about this now before it spreads. We had people taking flights. I was watching a piece the other last night. We had people taking flights from China, from the Wuhan province, where the virus was at its peak, and they were flying into the United States. And they were not even being questioned. This is Trump's mess. I'll call Obama a lot of stuff. I'll say what Obama should have did that he didn't do. But in this case, we had a canary in the coal mine. Donald Trump came in the coal mine and opened up the cage and the canary flew away. No, let me take that back. He killed the canary. This is his baby. That's why he's so upset with, with uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York, because Andrew Cuomo is handling this like a, 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 an elected leader should handle it. And he's too worried about whether or not states are giving him proper credit. Really, dude? Really? This is unbelievable. So... This is Trump's nightmare. And unfortunately, all of these people that are dying, that's going to die, because I'm going to be honest with you, I can't sit here, can you sit here today in confidence and believe that you're going to be here in six months? Um, I couldn't have done that before the coronavirus, so I don't know. I mean, I like to think I am. Oh, you just make no, me so no, sick sometimes. I'd like to think I, like uh, to think I am, but there, there's so much happening. Okay, let me ask you know. this. Let okay. me change the question. Okay. Can you sit there and honestly feel safe that you will not contract this virus? I can't say that, I do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it only depends on how much longer it goes on, really. They're saying April is going to be the peak month. So we hadn't even gotten to the peak yet. Jesus. You, 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 you understand that, yeah, right? Yeah. We hadn't even gotten to the peak month yet. So it's gonna, the peak month's going to be April for us, not everybody else, just for us. No, the, the, the country. What? The peak month. See, what you don't understand, Robert, is that the United States was three to a month behind when this pandemic hit. 
okay? It takes 14 to 21 days for it to metastasize, all right? And whereas other countries was doing mandatory testing, okay. testing left and right, the United States wasn't testing at all. They've just began testing. Thus, see New Orleans, okay? You have a state like Florida who had kids down there for spring break, and you had a governor saying, hey, y'all come on down, the water's fine. And now you've got people going home who contracted that virus. You know what they're afraid of, according to the news last night? Florida has the, one of the oldest populations in the country. They believe that there's a lot of people in Florida that's going to die over the next few weeks. Because you had a president who was four weeks behind on even addressing this issue. And what really makes it so makes me so angry about it is that it's not that they didn't know about it. They had a secret meeting. Remember? Yep. They had a secret meeting with the Intelligence Committee. And out of that committee, Senator Richard Burr, Senator Dianne Feinstein, and others immediately went and sold stock so they wouldn't lose money. They knew how bad it was going to be. No, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But my point is, is that I think what we're doing is productive. But how, however, I'm really concerned because, okay, so let's play, the, let's, let's play this out. Let's say everybody gets tested. Uh, May 1st, we get a clean bill of health. That's but, not going to happen, but, but we'll, we'll follow your argument. There's somebody out there who didn't get tested. Right. And we start this thing all up, all you're over You're exactly right. So this thing never stops. It's, you're exactly it right. It never goes away. You're exactly so, right. So doesn't it seem to be preventative? You know what? When I get a cold, when I feel like my, you know, when my throat gets itchy, yeah. you know what I do? No. I immediately start taking meds. I start work. I don't wait till I get a sore throat and laryngitis. Right. As soon as my throat gets scratchy, I, I, I immediately start taking meds. That's what we should have done. We shouldn't have waited until you got a sore throat. You shouldn't wait till it moves down in your chest. Because we know that when, it, when a cold moves down in your chest, you're in real bad shape. Right. I think, I think what we need to do is we need to test everybody. We can't. Regardless. We don't have the testing kits. We don't have enough kits, right? <laughs> you get my point? There's, there's got to be a way that we can test everybody because currently we can't, we can't, you can't fix something if you can't identify what's broken. I agree. And so if we're sitting here saying that the pandemic is just going to dissipate on its own, that's foolishness. That's just what because we self-quarantine. But that's what your president is saying. We're self-quarantining because to, to, to stem the tide of the pandemic. Your president is saying, oh, when it gets hot, it's going to go away. That's what your president's saying. You see, you see the problem with this? Is that the leader of the free world should be out there. Tell, you shouldn't be telling people, oh, well, we need to get back in churches during, by Easter. No, what he should be doing is leading by example. He doesn't even lead by example in his press conferences. He'll sit up there and tell you to practice social distancing, and then he has five people on stage that are with, within one feet of him. You get that, right? Yeah, no, I, no, I get all that. It's just that for me, 
I'd much rather us focus on solutions instead of point and blame because we can't get anything done if we're talking about whose fault it is. I want us to focus on how we can get rid of this thing and how we can really get rid of it. Because you can't um, get rid of it. We have to figure out a way because if we don't, unless there's a vaccine, because if you don't, guess what's going to happen in a month or whenever we're whenever we're released to go back in the to go back and carry our lives Mm. on again. It starts up all over. It's already happening in Wuhan, China. I, I can only imagine. It's already happening. They thought I read an article this morning where they found that the guy they tested a person that was negative. And then they tested test, tested him two days later. He was positive again. So you're exactly right. This is a this is a hamster wheel. This is how viruses work. They don't viruses. You don't kill viruses. A lot of people don't understand that about epi, the epidemiology. You don't kill a virus. You basically create things to make it dormant. It never goes away. That's why some people are afraid that. Some of the old viruses that had died thousands of years ago and that were buried under the solar ice cap, now that the solar ice cap is melting, scientists are saying that those old viruses that we had gotten rid of right. about to rear their ugly heads again. They don't die. They just be go dormant. So what we ought to be doing as an American, number one, we need people who are going to lead. We need people who are going to say, this is serious business. We need to take this serious. We don't need someone like like uh, uh, who was the uh, the president of this company who, uh, this, who this billionaire who says he wants his people to get back to work. You got billions of dollars. We need people that, that are going to lead on this, and the only people that can lead on this are the doctors, not a politician who's concerned about his reelection campaign. That's what no, Donald I, Trump is I about. I totally agree. But, again, there has to be a solution where we can end this thing. I, I know, and you're saying short of a cure, that's nothing we can well, do. Well, short of a vaccine. Short, short of a vaccine, I'm sorry, not a cure. But short and of you know vaccine. how long it takes for vaccines to yeah, be developed? Yeah, I mean, six years if you're lucky. Yeah. That's if you're lucky. Yeah. And they're talking about rushing out a vaccine within the next six months. Who wants to try that vaccine first? You get that, right? They're talking about rushing out a vaccine in six months, six months to a year. This is why a lot of people are saying that sheltering in place is going to be common. This is not going away. And you know the other sad thing about it? Hurricane season is right around the corner. You know what the winds of the hurricane will do? It will pick up that virus and it will transport that virus by air to other parts of the country. This is crazy, dude. But again, it goes back to being prepared. And if Barack Obama didn't do anything, he set up this pandemic team. They talked to the Trump administration about pandemics. And as soon as he got into office, he killed it. So no one should have any confidence whatsoever about this president leading us to a grander era past this virus because he isn't. And that's the sad thing about it. And until people begin to see what, see, if nothing else, you should see this man now for what he really is. And that's a piece of, you know what, he's a cow chip. 
And if you don't know what a cow chip is, go visit a farm and go walk in the pasture. You'll find out real fast. My only point is, Dave, there has to be a way we can address this thing where we can get this thing under control and we can make America the place it used to be where we can go back outside and we can inter- interact with each other and mm-hmm. we can touch and, you know, mingle and, you know. See the side chicks. See the side chicks. You know, I'm just saying. I, I agree with you, and I'm being facetious, obviously. But no, until right. this president, and unfortunately, a narcissist doesn't change for the benefit of others. No, I don't dis- I, I don't you disagree. see what I'm saying? I don't disagree with that. And this man is a narcissist of the worst order. This is, this is textbook narcissism that you're more concerned about whether or not a state is going to give you kudos as opposed to you sending ventilators to that state. You get that, right? Mm-hmm, I do. This is not the person that we need leading us out of this pandemic. And you would tend to believe that, oh, I'm, I made a boo-boo. The first thing I would have said if I were president is, yeah, we thought disbanding the pandemic team would save the taxpayers' money. That was a mistake. We are immediately refunding it. Hadn't heard anything like that. Hadn't heard anything about him. Hey, I made a mistake. No. He's saying we want to be back in churches by Easter. Before we get out of here, Dave, we have to discuss the $2.2 trillion bell out for the American people. Headed that direction. Okay. Headed that direction. Just about to wrap this up. Glad you brought that up. So anyway, we'll we'll continue that conversation. Oh, by the way, have you seen the, the latest pictures from Los Angeles? Yeah. It's pretty sad. No, 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 no. What? Not this picture. It's beautiful. Now, those of you who have never been to Los Angeles, there are certain areas of the city where you can get high vistas and you can't see parts of the city because of the smog. So they're saying for the last two weeks, since all of those cars are not no longer on the highways, Los Angeles looks like a different city. And they're, they're seeing this in cities across, all across the country. So those of you who don't think America or men, man, humanity, doesn't contribute to some of the things that are going on. Just look at that picture of Los Angeles. I posted that on my wall. Okay. Now I've got an article up here about that two point. By the way, Thomas Massey, who is a uh, uh, a um, Republican from Kentucky, folks. I don't know what's going on in Kentucky with your with your um, elected officials. But y'all need to do something. Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, and now Mr. Massey, who decided that he was going to, uh, you thought you were going to get a $2.2 trillion stimulus. Mr. Massey has held that up. Did you know that? I do. Okay. So... There you go with that. One other quick note, and we'll talk more about the stimulus. Should universities give back money to students? We talked about that before, didn't we? Mm-mm. 
Should universities give money back to students who now are no longer staying in their them, dorms? They sent them home after spring break. Right. I think they should prorate them back some of it. I think they should, too. Yeah, I think they should prorate them back some of it. The universe, I don't think they'll do it, but I think Well, the University of Alabama is doing just that. Uh, giving students prorated f- refund for housing, meals, and parking. Because, you know, you pay for all of that up front for a whole semester. So uh, they'll receive a prorated refund. Uh, apply your refund for your 2020 um, fall bill if you want, or you can donate your refund to tie together student support fund. So the University of Alabama is doing that, and I'm, I'm hoping that other universities would do that as well. I think that's a great, great, great idea. By the way, I'm going to make Cheddar Bay biscuits today. Uh, I don't know what made me say that. Maybe I'm hungry. I don't either. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm hungry. <laughs> By the way, more Republican shenanigans. Mississippi's GOP governor overrode local coronavirus measures, reopening some restaurants and classifying businesses like gun stores as essential. See, this is the problem. You have a Republican Party. It's not, you know, Robert, you know, it really isn't Donald Trump. You have a Republican Party that's anti-science. Okay, they lean on their their uh, perverted Christian word. They're anti-science. And when anything science come about. They are against it. And you're seeing the results of that. I don't doubt that Donald Trump wasn't wasn't the only one that was waving the flag to kill that pandemic response team. His Republican cronies were doing the same thing. None of them spoke up about it. This is a Republican Party problem. You've got Ron DeSantis in, 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 in Miami talking about, y'all come on down, the water's nice. Just don't call for me. This is ridiculous. So now they passed this 2.2 trillion, or at least they're attempting to pass this $2.2 trillion uh, stimulus bill, the majority of the money is still going to go to corporations. And I actually have an article about that very thing uh, that, that I posted on my wall. And I, I want to talk about that. Okay. And this was posted by the New York Times. And the title of the article is called, These Companies Enrich Themselves. Now They're Getting a Bailout. Okay. Companies spent years buying their own stock. And in a few weeks, they've seen sales plummet. So Booking.com, they, they, they spent $7.5 billion on buybacks. The Marriott spent close to $3 billion on buybacks. United Airlines, close to $3 billion on buybacks so the stim your stimulus money is basically gonna go to companies like disney booking.com disney spent over 3.5 billion on buybacks here are just a few of the companies that your stimulus and i'm gonna tell you one that really irks me more than anything else okay Disney, 
why should we be giving Disney money, American taxpayers' money? Booking.com, the Marriott, American Airlines, Delta, Southwest, United, Carnival, Cruise Lines, the Hyatt, the Hilton. Now, the one company that really just chaps my, you know what, is Carnival Cruise Lines. Wow. Carnival Cruise Line is not an American company. Carnival Cruise Line is based but in. They hire American I don't care. You're not. A, you don't even look. You are not even registered as a company in America. You know where you're registered. But Dave, do you know where you're registered? Dave, do you know where you're registered? Uh, my bridal, Do you know where they're registered? My bridal shower is registered at Dave and Rob's. <laughs> they are registered in Panama. But Dave, you, you can't say that because those companies employ American citizens. I don't and care. Technically, even though you know even why you're registered, registered in, in Panama, s- because you don't have to, because you have tax loopholes. Exactly. It's a, it's a tax. So you're not a, a good haven. citizen. <laughs> you're not a good citizen. It's a tax haven. It sure is. Okay. So you don't deserve. I could I could almost buy your argument with those others, and I don't buy it with them, but to some extent I will accept that argument. But for a company like Carnival Cruise Lines, who is registered in another company, who purposely have said, hey, we're going to register in another company, another country, because we don't want to pay your taxes, they should not be getting tax bailouts. They just shouldn't. Okay. Okay, hold on. They just shouldn't. And the irony is that the majority of these companies, Disney, Marriott, some of these hotels, do how you buying back stock? Okay, check this out. Check this out. For example, the airline industry which is prone to booms and bust, collectively spent more than $45 billion on stock buybacks over the past eight years. As recently as March 3rd of this year, with the crisis already beginning, the Hilton Hotel chain put $2 billion into a stock buyback. Huh? Just three weeks ago. We're in, the, we're in the throes of the epidemic, and, the Hilton, and Hilton says, oh, wait a minute. Let's go buy back our stock because the American Dave, people are going to, they're going to, the Congress is going to give us money. Dave, I keep telling you, stock buybacks are not uncommon, especially in this kind of market. Stock buybacks are not uncommon. I, I, I agree. Love, I love the way people try to glorify this and make it seem as though they're doing something nefarious. But companies are often but buying see, back their stock in depressed the markets. No. You missed the point, though. Okay. That if you have $45 billion to buy back your own stock, right. then you should have a rainy day fund. So when the markets get depressed, then you can contribute some of that money to your demise. You know? Okay. And you should not be coming to the American public saying, hey, hey, help, help, help. Dave Coleman and Robert Webb have to have a rainy day fund. Bank of America, High Regency, Caravan Cruise Lines. They don't necessarily have to have one. Because they got the, they got, they got the American taxpayer as because their rainy day fund. they have the biggest and best 
ta- they have the biggest and best bank there is in the U.S. government. Exactly. So my point to you is, while we can have while we can have all these conversations and we can want we can want to talk about it and, and it probably makes us feel good. Companies buying back their stock stock is not anything nefarious. I'm not saying it's nefarious. I'm simply saying that don't come running to me. Okay. It, it's kind of like you know. It's kind of like when uh, you got kids and you give them all twenty dollars and y'all go to the fair. Mm-hmm. Okay. As soon as you walk through the gate, one of the kids he runs to this the this one thing this one ride, and he spends all his money on that ride. Mm-hmm. Okay, then he comes back to you with them little, we've had kids, y'all know what I'm talking about. They come back to you with them little sad puppy dog eyes. Boy, what's wrong with you? I ain't got no more money. Well, did I give you $20? Yeah. Well, where'd it go? I spent it. Do you give him another $20? You don't really have a choice. You do? You don't really have a choice. I don't. You know why I don't? Because I. it's a lesson. Let me give you something, Dave. Far more Americans claimed unemployment benefits in the past week than ever before. Yes, they did. And the chart has gone viral showing that huge showing that huge spike. But be careful when you read this chart. It does not mean that more people are unemployed than ever before. It just means lots of people lost their jobs all at once. Right? If you compare the spike through last Saturday on the far right with the 2008 recession, the number of unemployed Americans looks worse, right? So they have a chart here. And in 2008, they had 695,000 people in October of uh, 1982 who um, applied for unemployment. But they had 3.3 million. 3.3 million, yep. Dave. Mm-hmm. Okay, it mm-hmm. says the chart shows. And what did the Republican the, Party say about the those chart? People? Shows the right high number of new claims for unemployment benefits in a week, not the total number of people taking unemployment benefits. More than ten times as many unemployment claims were filed during the 2008 recession, 37 million 118 to be exact. But that recession looks like looks less scary on the chart because the job losses weren't as subtle. The total number of unemployment claims filed mm-hmm. during a time period is mm-hmm. now is not shown as the height of the tallest bar, but instead the area under the curve. Mm-hmm. So here we go, Dave. Let's break it down. The U.S. Employment and Training Administration, which is part of the Department of Labor and which compiles this data, also compiles a data set of continuing claims. This is how many people are receiving employment benefits, but that, but that data set lags a week behind note that the area under the curve doesn't quite represent the number of people on unemployment because even during the recession many people who were on unemployment at one point in the cycle eventually got a new job and some of or them, they simply dropped off they the rolls dropped off the rolls and some of them then lost that job so they show up with multiple initi- initiation employment claims during the recession the continuing claims data data is also different from the unemployment rate remember not everyone who is employed can receive unemployment benefits like gig workers or people paid under the table many of whom 
have lost their jobs or seen their earnings sliced by the near shutdown of the economy attributable to the coronavirus. But as the work, but as the weeks drag on, the area under the new curve will give us better context for assessing the employment impact of this crisis relative to previous ones. So your point in reading that? My point in reading that is we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of this. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do that bailout, mm -hmm. this will only get worse. And while I understand, do mm -hmm. I agree with the bailout? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. But if we don't do the bailout, we're in trouble. So this every a time a indication. company crashes, we're, are we supposed to bail them out? Dave, it's not every time a company crashes. But every time, on, Dave, think about on, it. Every Dave. time we've hold had on, a recession, well, uh, in, even with Barack Obama, in that recession, the Dave, banks we didn't have a, we didn't have a choice. Mm. Too big to fail. They, right? were, they were too big to fail. Well, you know why they were too big to fail? Because they put in they put in things that, to to get them in that particular situation. There's a reason the Dodd Frank bill that was that was sponsored by Barney Frank. That's why they put in that bill because they were doing things that were nefarious that was causing the crash that caused that crash. That's not me saying it. That was Barney Frank who said. You it. have to remember now. Let's 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 make sure we put blame where blame is due. Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton. And his administration were the ones who loosened those regulations. I'm not saying he was allow them I to agree. even do the derivatives. Yep. That was Bill Clinton's administration. Right. Let's put let's put blame where it's right. due. Right. If we're going to point the finger, let's put the finger in the right. I'm direction. pointing the finger is that we should not be bailing out companies who have who have poor management. And when you when you have 45 billion dollars to buy back your own stock, then no, I'm not giving you no. That's like you coming to me. You got you got 10 million dollars. And you come to me and say, hey, Dave, let me borrow $100. I'm going to look at you like you're a damn fool. No, you're not. Because I, maybe I can't have access to that money. But this is the thing, Dave. C companies. I like the way you did that. Companies that was, that was constantly buy back you, stock. You really do think I'm. Companies. But you, see, you call oh, up on. Let me, let me finish, though. Uh, that's because, fine. See, you're, you're, making the, you're making the case that because they have money to buy back stock, then that means they shouldn't get the bill out. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. You're saying they should have a rainy day. I'm simply saying that you ought to be you stock. ought to be prepared for when there are downturns in the market. And if you're out there buying back forty five billion dollars okay, in wait a stock, second, Dave. we I said to, I said this to you on Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember now. But yes, I'm sure companies have rainy day funds. No company has a six month rainy day fund. Mm. I'm sure a company probably has you know, 60 days maybe. So that $45 billion in stock, how much money do you think they should have taken out of that? To, I mean, couldn't, couldn't they have bought $20 billion in stock? Couldn't well, they have bought just a, a billion dollars in stock? It depends on your company's charter. In your company's charter, it may, it may say mm. that the money you put there to buy stock can only be used mm. to purchase stock. I don't know because we don't know that charter, okay. right? But my point is, is that what we're doing is we're having a conversation around this and – the thing that we really need to be focused on is how many people are going to lose when their companies jobs? need how money. Many, hold on, Dave. How many companies are going to? How many jobs are we going to lose mm -hmm. if we don't do the bailout? When companies need what money, what kind of impact will this have on our economy? You had three hundred. You had three million, three hundred thousand people apply for unemployment in one day. Okay, let me let me ask you a question. Okay, you got a company that I want to buy. Okay. All right. Okay. How do I typically buy that company? You do an evaluation. I do an evaluation, but then how do the money change hands? It can do it in a number of ways, right? 
Yeah. It could be cash. Right. It can be stock, right? Right. Right? Right. You or a mix of other or a mix, mix of both. Mix of other things, right? right? Or mix of both stock right. and cash. Yeah. So if I can liquidate fund stock in order to create cash flow mm-hmm. to buy a company or to even keep my company afloat, then why would I go and buy stock? Because the whole reason for the stock. You know, you, no, the I whole, love no, no. the way you, no, Robert, no. You want, you want to be right so bad. No, I, it's not about. It's that you're willing to fall no, on your sword. No, no, it's not, a, it's not about being right. Way. It's just I want people to be responsible. And if Congress can tell, can get raised holy hell and be upset because poor people making under $25,000 a year is going to get an extra $400. Then I want my congressman to be raising hell about a company that spends $45 billion on stock buybacks when you ought to be putting that money in your company to keep it afloat. Because that money actually goes to stockholders. Okay? That's where that buyback goes. Those stocks go to stockholders. That doesn't go anything as far as keeping that company solvent. Now you want to say, oh, now let's run it. We're we're insolvent. We're in trouble. Let's let's go help the, the the let's go ask Congress to give us more money. That dog is old, man. That dog, now they've been doing that, but I think the American people are beginning to say, no, that don't make any sense. Well, you got to do something to help yourself. Unfortunately, the American people have been bought and paid for. Yeah, they're giving them. You, you don't like the American them people. Twelve hundred dollars. I love the American people. <laughs> they're giving them twelve hundred dollars. Mm. So if we, if we both will concede, and if you think that's good enough, I'm not saying it's good enough. I'm saying that's what they're giving them. And if they're giving them twelve, if they're giving them twelve hundred dollars, then guess what? You can't be pissed off about what we're giving to them because we're giving you some too. Twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, and and when stocks buy, how back, much money when, is going to those corporations in that stock, stimulus? Um, I think they said five hundred million. No, it's more than that. Or was it? No, that was the initial one. It's more like five hundred billion. Five, right, right, five hundred billion. That's what yeah. I meant to say. But this you is see what I'm that, saying. This is the thing: if a company buys back its stock, it's not buying its stock back. It's buying its stock back because the because the company feels its stock has dropped in value, and so if they feel their stock has dropped in value, it gives them an opportunity to go in, buy up as much stock as they can at its lowest rate, and when it moves back up. They're good because all that company's doing. There is you go. So when it moves back up, they're gonna reimburse the taxpayers, right? No. Bingo. I rest my case. Jesus. You did a piss poor job making that argument, Robert. That but that's a, okay. It's hard to debate an intellectual. <laughs> that was a very salient point I made. <laughs> it was a good point. It was. But I'm just simply saying is that before you go out, it's kind of like this. Your utility bill is due. Oh, I got a better one. Brianna invests. Brianna, two people have $1,000 each. Brianna invested wisely and made $350. $350. She now has $1,350. DeAndre spent $650 on designer clothes to take some dope pictures on Instagram. He now has $350. Who's the smartest? Brianna is. 
That that's that's still a tough one, Dave. You, you keep you keep throwing me into these situations where I have to blame the black man. There you go. You keep throwing me in these situations where I have to really fight for my life, Dave. Blame. And I don't think it's blame fair. Blame the black man. Blame the black man. Hey, want to remind you tomorrow at eight o'clock is the weekly sports magazine. We're gonna talk about a lot of stuff. We'll talk about Tom Brady. We'll talk about A. B. And why he, he doesn't belong in Tampa Bay. We'll talk about the upcoming draft. We'll talk a little basketball. And we'll also talk whether or not we'll even see sports in the next six months. I'm beginning to believe that we won't. Join us. 8 o'clock, 8 to 10 tomorrow morning. It's the weekly sports magazine right here on joinedradio.com. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Uh, I'm going to do some fishing this weekend. In fact, I might go as soon as I leave here today, although the weather's looking a little frightening. But I hope you get out and make sure you all paying attention. Don't pay attention to the politicians. Pay attention to the doctors. I'm just saying. Robert? There's no... Wait a minute, what you doing? What you doing? I believe in the brotherhood of all men. I believe in the brotherhood of all men. But I don't believe in wasting brotherhood on anyone who doesn't want to practice it with me. Mm. Brotherhood is a two-way street. That's my man, my heart, my leader, Malcolm X. I'm what time, circumstance, history have made of me, certainly. But I'm also much more than that. So are we all. James Baldwin. That's what's up. Hey, spend money on your own community, y'all. If you don't, nobody else will. Peace. You've been listening to Black Focus, where we discuss our issues with our solutions and our voices. Join us every weekday afternoon at 1 p.m. on joinetradio.com. <laughs>